Welcome to Business Done Differently, where baseball team owner turned showman Jesse Cole speaks with successful entrepreneurs who stand out in business and in life by thinking differently and challenging the status quo. We believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that normal gets normal results. If you want to stand out and be different, this one's for you. Today's guest is the expert on workplace culture. He's a Hall of Fame speaker. He's worked with a who's who in the business world and a best-selling author. His book, On Fire at Work, How Great Companies Ignite Passion in Their Employees Without Burning Them Out, absolutely changed the game for me. I am fired up today to welcome Eric Chester to Business Done Differently. Welcome, Eric. Geez, Jesse, after an introduction like that, I can't wait to hear what I've got to say. <laughs> We're going to have some fun today. And obviously, to put a little context for the listeners, we met at the Customer Service Revolution and had an amazing dinner talking all night and definitely a huge fan of yours and Eric and everything you're doing. And one of the conversations, now obviously you've been speaking all over the world, but you started your own business and I want a little bit kind of a, what's going on with this unbelievable castle-like car wash you and Maury are doing together. My wife and I, she, she's an excellent salesperson. She's medical in medical sales, and we've had a, a wonderful run. I've been a speaker. I've written books and, and given speeches for the past 32 years. But most of what I do, I, it came down to what's going to happen, what's the next step. I mean, we don't really have anything solid together, and we've been kind of toying with that idea. And there was a piece of property not far from our house on a very well-traveled street that came up for sale, and we kind of looked at each other and said, what if we did something cool there? And Lori comes from a car family, and she takes meticulous care of her car, and so we thought, how about a car wash? So we did our research, and we decided to build a car wash, and yet I wanted the building to be the marketing for that car wash. I wanted it to be an iconic building so that everybody that drove by would go, oh my God, look at that. Look, look over there. Look, what is that? So kind of the purple cow, as Seth Godin would say. And, and so I drew out on a napkin, how about if it looked like a castle? And so we created this castle and it's called Camelot Car. And by the way, it also has a dog wash, which is a vending machine. It's self-service and the whole car wash is self-service. So, I mean, we have no employees there right now and we're rocking it today. So, but it does take, it still takes people to maintain it, to keep it clean and what have you. It's just not demand. We just don't have to have employees there. And we're open 24-7. So it's Camelot Car and Dog Wash. And we've been open for 120 days. And we beat all our performance uh, projections and profitable projections. And so we're just tickled that our community out here in Golden, Colorado, home of Coors, seems to be buying into what we're doing. What's fascinating to me that you've become the expert on you know, the employee experience, and then you build a business <laughs> with zero employees, which is just fascinating. But I think the thing that's really interesting, Eric, no matter what you do as far as your customer and employee experience, you still have to find a way to create attention and stand out. And obviously, as we got to talk, we had to name the team something crazy, the Savannah Bananas, and create the attention to people understand what we're all about. And it sounds like that's what you did. So people are now talking about it. And then you can create the great customer experience. Well, that's why we're twin brothers of different mothers, Jesse. I mean, it, you know, you did and I did essentially the same thing. I mean, people have been to a baseball game before and people have been to a car wash before. And you decided, I don't want just another everyday run of the mill garden variety type of hooey dooey baseball team. I'm going to do something different. And that's exactly what I thought. If we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. And we actually spared no expense. As, as we started this, I went, okay, if I'm going to do a car wash, what is the best car wash on the planet and what do they have? 
Is there anything that I could have that I don't have? And with that mindset that we were not going to just half-ass it, we were going to go all in and create an incredible car wash, then branding it like a castle, and then following through with that with the customer experience where everything that you see has something to do with that period, that era. It's fun. People enjoy going. Nobody enjoys washing their car. I mean, it's, it's work, right? So how can you make that fun? How can you create something where people there have kind of a smile on their face? And of course, we're dealing in a dirty industry. Mm. Everybody comes to the car wash, has dirt, they have trash. And so there's a lot of mess. So what we thought was self-service and no employees turned out to be, no, that's not it. <laughs> we do need people. We just don't need people to be there 24-7 as the wash is open. So what I thought was going to be totally self-service isn't self-service. And I'm sure there were – the same thing applies for you, Jesse. You, you create an idea and then you go, wow, it's a lot bigger than I thought. Mm. And that's okay. That's okay as long as you – continue with that value that it's going to be an unbelievable experience. And I'm not going to worry about the bottom line. I'm going to worry about the customer experience and the bottom line will take care of itself. hundred percent. And then the question I always ask is what makes you different? What makes you stand out? You've created that. And now you almost have to provide that larger than life experience. And you know, Eric, I think this was more than I ever expected to talk about a car and dog wash. But again, it's making it talkable. You're making it a talkable experience. And that's where the business, the revenue, the profits take care of itself. And so I, I'm so glad that you guys are doing well with it. And I'm sure it's one of those concepts we always talk about. It's do and then learn. Five years ago, 10 years ago, you probably never, ever imagined you'd be doing this as a side gig that's become pretty big. Yeah. And anybody can see if your listeners are interested, if they go to camelotwash.com, they'll be able to see the car wash and see what it's all about. Now, if I tell you what, any one of your listeners that lives in Golden, Colorado or around and says, I'm bringing my car through, hey, you can contact me through the, the I'll give you a free wash. How about that? that <laughs> and I know that's quite a ways from Savannah, Georgia, but you have listeners from all over the world. I hope if they come out to Colorado, they get a chance to see it because I guarantee you, I am coming out to Savannah and I'm going to see a baseball game like I've never seen before. Well, I'll, I'll take you up on that and obviously we'll host you here in Savannah. So let's go back a little bit before we dive really into the book, which just, I mean, I've shared, Eric, I told you with our whole staff and we have a fans first director here who's all about our people. And, and one of the things I share with you is our biggest fans are our own people and we put them first in everything we do. And then that takes care of the customers. But I want to put a little context because you have become the go-to person for this. We talk about employee engagement, which is such a, a word that's used these days. But how did it st- how did it start for you? We talked a little bit about it at customer service, but how did you get caring into this so much? Well, I believe that problems create opportunities. And I graduated from high school as a guy that wanted to be a, a business teacher. Uh, I love the business classes that I took in high school. And I look and go, wow, well, 50% of all college freshmen major in business, but rarely do people take any kind of business classes while they're in high school. So I took marketing and business classes and I really found a connection there because it was something real world. It wasn't just we're talking about history or reading, writing and arithmetic. This was really applicable. And so I worked while I was in school. My parents weren't going to buy me a car. I mean, you wanted a car, you had to buy your own car. So it was like what I was learning in class was very relevant to my real life. And I decided I wanted to teach business. So I graduated. I started teaching back in the early 80s and people might know generationally that there was a baby boomer generation had gone through the cycle. And so there were far too many teachers for the number of students. So it was hard to hang on to a job. I got bounced around to four to five different schools Mm. in, in uh, four districts in two States. 
So I only taught school for six years. And finally, I decided, you know, I got to do something else. I don't want to just keep playing musical teacher. And I loved being in front of kids. So I thought, what if I just kind of started a business where I was in front of kids and I kind of tried to help them figure out their future? So I became a speaker and I started speaking for high school students and I started very small. But with 10,000 hours of doing mostly classrooms before long, word started to spread that I was I was pretty good in front of students. And over a span of 12 years, I visited 1,500 different high schools in all 50 states, all the provinces of Canada. And I kind of became this guy that would come in and help kids figure out what school was really about. Because we really never tell people. They're just in school and they don't really understand why. I mean, what's the point of all this? Why am I learning all this? It does have nothing to do with what I'd really like to do in my life. So I became this guy that kind of was in school to work transition. Then back in the 90s, people started saying, hey, you seem to know how to motivate teenagers. We hire a lot of them. It was the burger chains, the movie theaters, the retailers. And they wanted to know because a lot of employers were struggling hiring teenagers who really were raised in a different time and did not, quote, have the work ethic that they expected. They had they didn't know how to work when they came into the workplace. Parents hadn't taught that. So I started doing some research on generations and I wrote a book, the first book ever on millennials. It was called Employing Generation Y, W-H-Y, mm. not Y is in the letter follows X, but Y is in why do I have to do what you want me to do? Why do I have to wear that uniform? Why do I have to work on Saturdays? And hey, wait a second, I've worked here for three days. Why can't I have your job? So that became kind of the Trojan horse that broke through and started talking about generations are different. So I rode that horse for a while as companies and organizations started hiring me to come out and present at their manager meetings and their franchise meetings to talk about this new different generation. And for a while that was okay. But people wanted actionable ideas. So I would learn from my audiences and people in the in the room that were doing a creative things to find and keep great people. And my career has kind of blossomed from there. So I've transitioned from just talking about young employees to just talking about all this labor force. And so my research is anecdotal, Jesse. Mm. I listen. I talk to people. I find strategies that are working. And I try to share those strategies with people from other brands and it's just kind of built into this. How do people think? What's the new workforce really about? It's not just about young people. It's about diversity, age diversity, gender diversity, ethnic diversity. How do we get this new workforce to want to work for us to perform better and stay longer? And so that's really the emphasis behind my work. Mm. You know, there's a lot of great things to unpack from there. You know, the first thing I thought of, you played the long game. I mean, the amount of speeches that you gave just to high school students and kids is unbelievable. And I think myself as on the edge of that millennial gap, but everyone else on our staff, the millennials, we want to make jumps so quickly. You know, it's like one year seems like a decade and we want to do things. I mean, how many years were you just speaking to students? Well, a total of 12. And, <laughs> and that was after six years of teaching school. Mm. Here's the thing. I don't fault millennials or whatever you want to call them, Gen Zs, young. I don't fault them because you have grown up in a world of instant results. Mm. You see you're con consistently obliterated with images of people who have managed to game the system. By that, I mean separate effort from reward. Get what you want as fast as you can, right? It's the difference between linear thinking, which I grew up with. You keep your nose to the grindstone. You work hard. Someday all this will pay off. And how my kids grew up, who are all, quote, millennials, 
They grew up in a world that says, hey, you want to beat this video game? Here's a cheat code. You can go from here to there. It just boom, 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 boom. And so the reality is when you grow up in a world where there are shortcuts, you don't really see the hard work behind the majority, the vast majority of people who are climbing. You see the Mark Zuckerberg. Here he's in Harvard. He drops out of school. The next thing you know, bam. <laughs> Billionaire, all right? Or you watch a rap artist and you go, hey, he just came up with some clever rhymes. Bam, billionaire. <laughs> oh, geez, I can. And I never had that. I wasn't exposed to that in my life. Mm. So people of my ilk, my generation, and even Gen Xers. So I'm a baby boomer. But even Gen Xers, we, we didn't, we weren't accustomed to gaming the system. It was not there. So now, like you said, millennials go, how can I get there in three steps or less? And you can't say you can't do it because they're obliterated with examples of people who have. But what they don't see is that those are the outliers, the extremely rare examples that the multitude that still requires hard work, practice, getting good. People that want to become speakers. Hey, I want to become a speaker when I get out of high school. Well, what have you earned the right to speak about? Who <laughs> wants to hear what you have to say? You have to go out and get some experience. You have to do something with your life, hmm. right? And it's the same thing in your business, Jesse. It's like, where's the shortcut? Hmm. Where's that code? Where is that go from rags to riches overnight? Hmm. It just, it, it, I'm not saying it's not possible. It's irrational. Yeah, and it's very rare. And it's interesting, too, because the world now, you, know, you put something up on social media and immediately you're getting likes or comments or shares and it, you're judging everything, that immediate satisf- satisfaction. And, you know, one of the best things for people that are successful is they know how to delay gratification. And, you know, it's funny, you know, everyone looks at us as like, oh, the bananas are an overnight success. Well, people don't realize I spent 10 years building another team up in Gastonia. I spent three years in a small team in Martinsville, Virginia, learning, and then they see the success. It's the hundreds and thousands of hours that go into learning. And I think this is almost a good place to set the tone for figuring out what do these people want and how have you learned what's driving these younger employees? Because Greg Marai, Eric, you've interviewed hundreds of frontline employees. I've watched some of the videos, which are which are fascinating. But you know, what have you found that employees, especially young ones, really want these days? Well, I don't know that they've changed Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? They <laughs> yeah. still want basically the same things that all employees want. It's what they're willing to accept and what they're not willing to accept. Mm. So let's just say right now that millennials, and I hate to use that term, Let's just say the emerging workforce, young people who are coming into the workforce right now, they want all the things that we just talked about. They want success. They want it fast. They want to get to where they're going. And they've seen examples of that. Okay. But what does success look like to them? Well, it's money. It's working for a great company. It's being recognized when they do something well. It's having a voice in how things are operated. It's continual growth and learning. It's all those things that my dad and my grandpa Mm -hmm. wanted. They just didn't demand it. And guess what? It was, we're talking about people who went through the depression who said, look, I'll do anything, anything to keep from starving. So that really is important context because if we woke up tomorrow and the stock market literally crashed, banks were closing, right? People stopped shopping. Now, all of a sudden, all employers would be stacked with applications Mm. and young people would go, oh, man, to get a job, 
I've got to dance for the man, right? I got to come in. I got to clean up. I got to wear a tie. If I want to work at McDonald's, I've got to say, I'm willing to clean the bathroom. I'll do anything I can to survive anything. That's what changes. See, we're an economy right now where everything is brisk. It's moving fast. There's more opportunity than there are employees. So guess what? Uh, It's kind of who's got the upper hand. And in most situations, employees, especially those that have unique skills, Mm. right? If you can code, if you can weld, if you can do something that somebody else can't, now all of a sudden you're rare Mm. and your services are up for bid, just like in a baseball team. You can pitch a 90 mile an hour fastball and you've got two additional pitches You've got a curve and you've got a nasty change up. Guess what? You're in demand. Mm -hmm. But if all you can do is if all you can do is bunt and you're slow to get your services aren't in demand. Mm. It's the same thing. Right. And, And so that that's it. It's just now what do employees need? A, they need skills because we're looking for skills. And a lot of the early jobs are being automated. We have machines that will flip burgers and machines that will lay brick. And we have some of that stuff. So technology is taking its hand. So from an employee standpoint, you've got to define and delineate yourself, just like we're talking about delineating our respective businesses in the marketplace. You got to be delineate. You got to be able to do something somebody else can't do. And you got to be willing to start at the bottom and work hard to work your way to the top. And if you're an employer, you've got to be a different kind of employer, a place that people say, if I want to do this job, that's the only place in my community to work. Mm. You know, and one thing we constantly talk about, and we believe, I think it was shared a little bit at the customer service revolution, but it's now the emotion economy. And it's how do you make people feel? You know, we talked uh, previously the experience economy, which I still believe in, but it's how do you make people feel? And we think about, we map our customer journey when they come to the ballpark. How are we surprising them with our pet band and our banana nanas and stickers for kids and high fives and bringing them in the locker room? We think all about that. But how often do employers think about, how they make their employees feel on a regular basis. And I think this is why I just absolutely loved your book, Eric, because it just dives into all these things. And I'm a big into storytelling. And that's that's everything for us. How do you create stories that make your people feel special? And you know, that's where I want to dive in. I, I have a game for you later. We're going to get into that a little bit. But I want to dive into the seven pillars of the on-fire employee because I think it was brilliant. And, and I want to talk a little bit specifically about some of these companies you mentioned. And the nerdery. I was, I mean, I think you purposely saved that for the last chapter because it's, they are nailing every single one. Can you share a little bit? And if you want to mention the seven pillars, I, I have them here, but uh, I think that's so important for the listeners to know how, how uh, they can put that into their company. Well, there are seven pillars. And if you look at it and said, okay, so my master's degree, Jesse, I, while I was teaching school, I went and got a master's degree and I got one in vocational counseling, which is basically helping people find jobs. So let's just say Gamma Ray came in from from an alien life force and zapped the Savannah bananas right into outer space and you were left with nothing, you know, not even a yellow tux. So all (laughs) of a sudden you're sitting there and you sit down and you go, God, I just lost everything. I better find a job. So you came to a guy like me. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't start our question or our process by saying, well, hey, Jesse, where do you want to work? Or, hey, Jesse, what do you do? I would start with a very different question. The question is, what do you want out of a job? And you'd probably say, well, I need, I need a job because I need income. And I'd say, okay, compensation. Is that it? You, all you need is a paycheck. <laughs> well, no, I actually want to work with a company I believe in. I mean, I have, do have values. I don't want to work with some place that 
some company that's polluting the environment or taking advantage of third world labor, or cooking the books. Okay, so you want to be in alignment with that company. All right, that, that's something. Anything else? Yeah, I don't want to do the same thing for the next 40 years with for a little gold watch. I want an opportunity to learn so that whether I stay with a company, I'm proceeding in the company or that I'm learning something and that's going to help me somewhere else. Oh, you want growth. There's number three. What else? Well, I certainly like to have fun when I'm at work. I mean, I, I want to work with people I like and I want to, okay, so you want an atmosphere, right? Some place that you enjoy. You, what does that mean? You won't go down into a coal mine? Oh no, I'll go down in a coal mine as long as I like my peers, as long as I like or respect my boss. And you know what? Maybe we go out and have a beer at the end of the day. Okay. So you want an atmosphere. What else? Well, I don't want to be micromanaged. I've done that before. I've had those jobs where I got a boss that just berates me or tells, you know, stands over and, and watches everything I do and tries to correct me. Okay. So you want some autonomy. You want to be able to make a decision. That's number five. What else? Well, let's see. Um, I, I want to be heard and I want to know what's going on. Oh, so you want two-way communication. Mm -hmm. Great. We got that at six. What else? Mm, I do a good job. I really do a good job. I want someone to notice. I, I like a. I, I don't need a, a raise or promotion. I don't need somebody to come up and hand me a $5 Starbucks gift card, but it would be a, a nice to get a pat on the back. Oh, you want some acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. Now, is there anybody that's working in today's world that doesn't demand those seven things? Those are what I call cultural pillars. And the best companies turn around and go, how do employees rate us based upon these cultural pillars? I mean, how are we seen by the outside world? So most companies start with a profit motive. And that's great. I'm a capitalist at heart. I want to, you know, you want to start a business. We didn't start a business to say, hey, we want to wash cars because you know what? Washing cars is a good thing and, and people will like us because they have clean cars. That wasn't our idea. The idea was, <laughs> hey, we could have a little retirement nest egg here. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. We're profit minded. So that's important. But if all we do is think about our customers, if that's all we do is how can we get more business, more business, more business, we evaluate, only survey our customers, our, our market, our clients, our patrons, our patients. Who, whatever you call those people who provide money, if that's all you do, you're overlooking the most important part of your business, which are your internal customers mm. and your internal customers, your employees, because without those people, you're not going to provide the, the guest experience, the service. You're not going to differentiate yourself. <laughs> so what I say is it's critically important to not only work on your consumer brand, but to work on your employment brand. And those are those seven cultural pillars. And to ask yourself every day, how can I be a better employer? Mm. How can I make sure that my employees are really pumped, jazzed, and excited about working here? Whether it's a baseball team, a car wash, or they're cleaning porta potties. <laughs> you know, it, it's so important because I think we are often thinking about our customers and profits and what we're doing. But think about the people you spend the most time with. And th this is kind of controversial, but we truly believe we're a family here. And because we're spending so much time together. And I remember asking, you know, our director of merchandise just off the cuff, I said, hey, why do you like working here? She's like, you know, I don't know. I have a good time. I go, no, really, why do you like working here? She's like, well, you know, it's just uh, I enjoy what I do with, with the customers and taking care. And I go, really, why do you enjoy working? She's like, I don't know. It's the people. I just have fun. I love being around the people. 
And it, it was really interesting because it got to, I asked three whys and got to it. And it's around the people you're surrounding yourself with. And if all those people, they aren't communicating well, they're not providing a great atmosphere. It's not alignment on beliefs. If you're not getting acknowledged, and that's not just from the top, but peer acknowledgement and recognition, all that comes together with the people around. It's not just the leader's job. Everyone has to provide all seven, it sounds like. Without question, Jesse, everyone has to. I recently did a blog post uh, how important it is to make sure that everybody on your team is helping you recruit. If you're going to win these labor wars in this tight economy, you can't just say, hey, HR, send us people. Everybody has to be a flag-waving ambassador for your team. And when they spot potential talent, they've got to be able to say, you ought to consider working for us, not you ought to consider working here for us Mm. because I'm part of us. It's we, right? I'm not just working here so that I can buy Jesse a nicer car. Hmm. I'm working here because it's good for all of us. This is a team thing. Yes. This is our business and we want good people here. And so those people become ambassadors to other employees who go, potential employees who go, you know what? Maybe I ought to look into that. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, with 3.7% unemployment, which was a recent statistic, most employers that are listening right now, that isn't the 3.7 I'm trying to recruit. Mm-hmm. In other words, let's be real here. The person you want in your organization, they're good. Mm-hmm. And because they're good, they already have a job, 100%. right? They already have a job. Mm-hmm. You're not looking for somebody who's sitting down on their couch playing video games, surfing Craigslist going, uh, do I want to drive a forklift or here's one I can wash this? Oh, wait, I can go over and work at a car wash or, or for a baseball team. Mm-hmm. You want somebody who is really, really good. And those people already have jobs. Yeah. So we have to be better employers, mm-hmm. Jesse. 100%. We have to be better at what we do, right? 100%. And 100%. And I, and I think one real, one that stood out for me more than anything, Eric, was uh, acknowledgement. And now we always call it recognition, but you made the point that acknowledgement is higher than recognition. And I understand that. I think about that in some of these practical examples. We start every staff chat with, I go to our president, who are we recognizing? And we constantly do that. Every Friday, we have our team members, our employees write to an email, one thing that they did that was fans first and one thing they acknowledged someone else do that was fans first because being the, the most fans first company in the world is one of our missions and that we're trying to accomplish. So it's constantly built on this. And, and interesting, I know you've interviewed lots of people. Our director of operations, we ask at the end of the year, what was your favorite moment from this past year? And you know, we've done we've done huge concerts and sold out games and had lots of fun. And he said, after our first concert, when you came up to me, put your arm on my shoulder and said, I'm so proud of you. You absolutely killed it tonight. What an amazing job. And I just praised him for a couple minutes. He said that was the best moment of the year. And I I really think of that moment. I can remember it vividly because that's what matters. And so when you talk about acknowledgement, if you want to share just a couple of these companies that you interviewed, I love what Wegmans did with the CARE program and obviously Apple's last day and first day. Could you share a little bit of that? Because I just, I believe in it so much. Okay, let's go back to the principle, and we can talk about examples, but what is the general principle? The general principle says, again, let's go to this day and age. This day and age, people, and not just young people, kind we've become so digital that we walk around with these little pocket supercomputers <laughs> that we call phones, even though that's the last use most people you know have for that. But these these supercomputers, and what we do is we take in the world from a media perspective. And we want to be noticed. We haven't reinvented Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We still need acknowledgement. We want to know that we belong. 
We want to know that we're loved and we're valued. So the best way to do that is go to your social media account, whether that's Instagram or Pinterest or Facebook or whatever, post something and then start counting how many people like us. As Simon Sinek says, gives us a dopamine hit. Wow. Somebody just liked it. Somebody liked it. So they like me. They like me. They like me. Again, a new phenomena. I grew up. I didn't have that. Last day of school, you'd get a yearbook, you'd go around, you'd have people sign it. Hmm. That was a big day. Hmm. But as far as acknowledgement, well, if you played basketball and they did a pep rally, then maybe the basketball players would get to come out and be introduced. That's five to eight people out of a school of maybe a thousand. Everybody else sat there, right? What else? How do I get acknowledgement? How do I get someone to recognize and know me? We desire that acknowledgement. So what happens is we live in this world with tons and tons of screen time, but very little FaceTime, very little FaceTime. And FaceTime matters. FaceTime says you, I recognize you. Now, so what does that mean? Uh, a lot of companies are in the process of, or in the habit of giving reviews, periodic reviews, a 90 day review, a 120 day review, a 360 day, an annual review. Hmm. That's what it is. That's when I'm going to call you in, sit down and we're going to talk about you in the workplace. Great for a baby boomer who is not wired for stimulus. Horrible for somebody who's played video games where every <laughs> three to five seconds there's some send, some scorekeeping device. They get an extra piece of pizza, extended life. Something has happened to them. They're wired for that. People need acknowledgement. And what acknowledgement simply means is it's not, hey, let me give you something. It's just, I see you. You did that right. Not you did outstanding. Yeah, you just made me a cup of coffee. It's amazing. The best <laughs> cup of coffee I've ever had. How about thanks? Mm. Or, hey, uh, appreciate the coffee today, Jenny. Mm. That, it, that's it. Mm. That, it just, just acknowledge simply means I didn't do it invisibly. Mm. So it's not, just, it, it's not just recognizing outstanding accomplishments. It's acknowledging things that are going well. Right. Just people doing what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. Most cultures out there are punitive, which means you're late. You didn't show up. I'm going to write you up. You're not wearing your uniform correctly. Boom, boom, boom. But we have all companies have processes for that. What do you do for the person that's wearing the uniform correctly or that shows up on time? Well, we don't do nothing for them because that's what we expect. And the problem is it doesn't work anymore. Right. That which gets acknowledged gets repeated. I'm not the first guy that said that, mm. but it's true. So why do we only have systems where we point out what doesn't work? So examples like you brought out, like Wegmans. Wegmans is great on noticing what's right, not just, hey, you're outstanding. It's just frequent. Wegmans is a supermarket chain headquartered in, in the uh, Atlantic Northeast often recognized as one of America's top workplaces in the group that includes Bain Capital and Microsoft and Google. And it's a grocery store mm -hmm. because everybody there, everybody there is, it, like you said, into peer acknowledgement and into um, uh, supervisory acknowledgement to where we're going to say, thank you. We appreciate, we acknowledge what you're doing. So as much as they thank the customer, they thank the employee. And, Apple is great at that. And now, what, now back to Wegmans, Eric, for a second. They, they have the, the care cards, right? That's for caring, appreciation, and recognizing each other. And they actually, all the different employees at the grocery store have these care cards that they give to other employees. Is that correct? Exactly. Yes. And so what it does is you're empowering employees to recognize other employees. Love it. Not just, hey, wait for this manager who may have 
30 direct reports, wait till they see me do something right. Mm. If I'm just doing my job or going above and beyond, which is, of course, the standard at Wegmans, if I'm going above and beyond and somebody sees me, they may have only worked here for a week, but they see me collecting carts out in the parking lot. And wait a second, I'm supposed to be working in the produce department, but I'm helping. Mm. They can hand a care card out. So what it is, is you're empowering peers to recognize it becomes a culture of acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. And when that exists, when peers are thanking peers for support, not just waiting for management to notice them so that they get a pat on the back or a bump in pay. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you have a culture where people are like, I want to be there. Yeah. Someone notices me. You're catching people doing things right as opposed to everyone else. Most businesses catching people doing things wrong. And you said this in your book, acknowledgement isn't a program. It can't be automated, nor can be impersonal. It requires caring, personalization, and caring. Caring, yeah, caring, personalized, and caring. So you said three. All right, I love it. So I guess my question, you mentioned Apple, Eric, in the sense of uh, uh, you were in there and you were videoing. I saw this videotape. And can you just share the story? Because I think it's so important for people to think about their first impression and last impression, not just for their customers, but for their employees. Well, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Apple. They're, I own all their products or uh, put it this way, all the products I have that they sell uh, have an Apple logo. So my watch, my, my laptop, my tablet, my phone, I just love Apple. But more than that, I love the Apple experience. And when you go into an Apple store, you find people who are literally on fire for their jobs. They love working. They love the customer. They love the product. And there's this There's this love fest going on. People seem happy, content, not, oh, God, we got another problem person in here who brought their laptop in, and they they don't have that approach. So one of the things that fascinated me was when I was in an Apple store waiting for an upgrade – this was happened during the middle of the day. There was this huge ovation that broke out. People started clapping. And what was really weird, nobody knew who, why these employees were clapping until you turned around and you saw this young person walk out from the back room. Nobody knew who this young person was. This person was just being acknowledged and love pouring out for them. And when I asked the person who was working with me, why are you doing that? They said, it's his last day. Come to find out the Apple culture is built on employee peer recognition. Every single Apple employee gets a standing ovation on their last day and they get a standing ovation on their first day. It doesn't happen before the store opens or after the store closes. They do it in the middle of the day when customers are in there and they, not, they encourage the employees, what they call Apple geniuses, to turn their back on their customers and employ and and applaud each other. It's a kind of a support, a recognition, a you're one of us. Thank you for your service. Kind of, it's almost military, the way we would applaud (laughs) for someone who just came off a jet from the Middle East and has served us. You would applaud for that person. That's the same kind of peer recognition that you get. And the answer is simple. Apple has changed the formula. First trillion dollar company in the history of our planet (laughs) says, the customer is not number one. Our people are number one. And when you treat our people like number one, they treat your employee like number one. You know, I love it because I think people do often think about their first day of their employee. And we try to map that out and have their favorite food, their snacks. You know, we make them feel part of the culture and really surprise and delight them. That's our goal. But then the last day, people often don't think about it. And we were guilty of this until recently. We had an employee who was only with us for nine months. 
And his last day, what we did, we we all we had an idea palooza, which is where uh, every quarter we meet and discuss ideas. But there was a surprise. It was his last day. So we came in and every single person on the staff wrote him a handwritten letter and we read them out loud to him. And it got emotional. Some people struggled going through. It was only with us for nine months. And then after that, we hit him a framed collage of photos of all the photos during the season that he was here. And then our videographer put together a full video, like a three minute video of all the highlights of him involved in this team. And that's how we said goodbye to the last day. And I'll tell you, it was emotional, but we felt so proud of what we're doing. And I think people often think about the first impression, but do they think about the last impression? And uh, I think Shep Hyken said it best, the last impression leaves a lasting impression. And I I was so blown away by this Apple thing because you made the point before, you know, we may never get a standing ovation in our life, but we can give one. And why why doesn't everyone focus on giving them to their own people? And I just thought that was really powerful. So I I know we're going closer to the ninth inning where we're going to finish up here, but that made an impact on me. And I just, if you could briefly talk about the nerdery, because there hasn't been a company that has inspired me as much as listening to everything that they were doing. Can you just share some of the crazy things that they were doing to make their culture amazing? Yeah, well, I mean, if you go back, here's three guys who are techies who all leave their job because they don't feel like they're valued. And three guys get together, and rather than saying, hey, let's form a company where we can make a lot of money, their first thought is, let's create a place to work where guys like us would really love to come to work. So their thought process was employee first. So they created this thing. They said, hey, we're always called nerds. Let's just call our place the nerdery. And rather than take it as an insult, we'll take it as praise. They created the nerdery. It was born in uh, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, actually in Bloomington, Minnesota. And they created a company that said, why should we have this peer structure where you have to earn the right to be heard? So the first thing they did is say, everybody here, we want them to think is a co-president. So when you come in on your first day, when you're hired, you get a bracelet that says co-president. They want you to think like an owner. They come back and they go, okay, about autonomy, uh, working here. We don't care if you have a East Coast pedigree. You came from MIT. That doesn't matter to us. In fact, they created their own test called the Nerdery Assessment Test, NAT, rather than the SAT. Mm. If you can pass the Nerdery Assessment Test, they will hire you. Okay, so what is that? That's this coding test, a coding exam. So they've had people who are teenagers come in and pass this, and they hire them, right? And they've had people with East Coast pedigree degrees who could not pass the nerdery assessment test. So that's their benchmark. Then if you don't pass it, they will coach you so that you can pass it. So now you come in and they go, okay, from day one, the best idea wins. How does that work? That means if you're working in a peer project for a client, a customer, and you have an idea and there's three other ideas that are pitched, everybody votes on that idea and the best idea wins. Doesn't matter how long you've worked there. Doesn't matter what your title or position is. The best idea wins. So now all of a sudden you're hitting nerds on a completely and totally different level. I matter. My work matters. Now, typically they hire the smartest kid in the class, right? Or so you'd think, but they realize they're in this environment with 500, which is how many nerds they have now, 500 smartest kids in their class. So they create this fun environment. You will see almost every single cubicle is decked out, first of all, personally, but they all have Nerf guns because there's Nerf wars that break out all the time. (laughs) There are 50 different social clubs all started by nerds. There's a gardening club, a yoga club, a fantasy football club, a push-up club. 
no matter what you're into, you will find activities and clubs that you can join of like-minded individuals. So they want to encourage people to socialize outside the boundaries of work. And each of those clubs was started by a nerd. So it wasn't like the founders got together and said, hey, I know, let's start a yoga club or let's start a Dungeons and Dragons club. Somebody had that idea, posted it. They had a found, found a few people. They organized it. Bam, it's theirs. They take ownership. So if you tour the nerdery and now there's nerderies in Kansas City, they have another one in Chicago. They're growing extremely fast. If you tour the nerdery, you'll see what they mean and why they've been recognized so frequently in various business journals, in in newspapers, Glassdoor, as being an amazing place to work. Because if you're a nerd, you go, that's my kind of place. That's where I want to be. Mm-hmm. I want to be where I have a voice, where I can bring my dog to work, where it's <laughs> where I where and so that's why I use them as the final example in this chapter because Jesse, they just they hit all seven mm-hmm. cylinders. And to this day, they continue to improve their culture continuously, and that's why they're successful. I love it. And they're so clear on what they want to be, the best place in the world to work for nerds, and they create that belonging. I I was fascinated by, obviously, the fun environment and the atmosphere. I think that's so important, and we take pride in that here. I mean, we work at a ballpark. It's got to be fun. And and Eric, don't think you're going to get away from some of this fun. So we're going to do a quick game here, all right, that we'd happen at our ballpark, and it's called, it's a sing-off. So we actually have... It's called Sing in the Blank. At our games, we'll have 2,000 fans versus 2,000 fans, one grandstand versus the other. We'll play a song. When the song stops, you have to finish that song lyric. And so we're going to do an old-fashioned truth and dare with you. And uh, we're going to start with the dare. I'm making the decisions for you, Eric. So if you're ready for this game, when the song stops, you have to finish that song lyric. Are you ready? Three words for you, brother. Bring it on. (laughs) All right. Let's see. Here we go. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain Too much your love drive a man insane You broke my will, the blood of three Goodness gracious Great balls of fire <laughs> You nailed it, my friend. That was easy. If you didn't get that after talking about fire, we'd be in trouble, Eric. Let's go. Give me another one, Jeff. <laughs> I could I, I could have gone, we didn't start the fire. I could have gone, ring of fire. You know, there's about 63 songs, Eric, on fire. So I could have kept going with that, man. <laughs> hey, I love it. I love it. It was. It's a, it's a great – you always make every experience fun, Jesse. That's what sets you apart. I cannot wait to interview you for my next book, Fully Staffed, Finding and Keeping Great People for Jobs They Don't Consider Sexy. Look – Working in a baseball field, that that seems like a sexy job, but there's a lot of work, a lot of cleaning, a lot of serving people and jobs that aren't fun, but you keep fully staffed and I cannot wait to tell your story. I appreciate it. I try. I appreciate it. All right. I'm going to skip the truth because we're going to move on. So I'm going to let you let you get your first start on this. Uh, Another game, flip the script. So you are now the host of Business Done Differently. You can ask me one question. Jesse, where did your passion for employees come from? What, why? Where did you come up with this feeling that I want to be a great employer? What, what, what in your history, in your work history, what did that for you? Loneliness. I mean, this is going to go in a whole different direction because I think uh, when I first started, it was all about rising up, going from an intern to a general manager to an owner, you know, getting press, selling out games, getting the notoriety. And then I realized I was extremely lonely. I was by myself. And I wrote a piece about this a while ago that You never want to get to the finish line alone and cross the finish line alone. And it's so much better to cross the finish line with others. 
And so once I took over Savannah, you know, luckily I had my wife who started as our director of fun and who you met briefly. We did this together. And then we're like, wow, the feeling that we have, the emotions that we have um, at the end of each night when we're talking about our fans first moments and everyone on the staff talks about stories and people get emotional and we share that. There's no better feeling that I have than that moment. And then when we're at the gate and we're thanking the fans because we're doing it together. And I was an only child who was alone off and my parents were divorced. And that feeling of togetherness and belonging and feeling a part of something, there's no better feeling. So every day I'm trying to create that. When I walk into the office high-fiving everyone, it's just to have fun and build that uh, togetherness. So that's it. That's well, the, I, I went serious there, Eric. Well, you did go serious. And I'm going to ask you one other question because I have that right. And I'm You're older breaking than the you. rules. I like this. I'm breaking <laughs> the rules, dude. I'm going to ask you one more question. <laughs> there, there's a lot of listeners who are going to say, great. Yeah, it's it's a lot easier to do that kind of fun thing and wear yellow tuxedos <laughs> and everything when you're in the entertainment baseball world. Wait a second. I run a cleaning company. I clean residential homes. How would you advise that person? to create the same kind of environment or a similar kind of environment. We have hard, I don't have that luxury. How would you advise those individuals? Everyone has something that makes them stand out and it's the best version of themselves. It doesn't have to be a yellow tuxedo, but what do they want to be known for? What's their story that they're telling at the end of their life? How do they want to be remembered? And I think about the stories that we're creating every day. And I consider myself a, a showman and a story maker. And so you may be doing potholes or picking up trash. But, you know, for instance, we have a young man uh, named Reginald who is our trash picker and he's, he's got a mental disability, but he goes around and smiles and has the time of his life. And we've done some really crazy over-the-top things for him at the ballpark. And he said it's the best job he could ever have. And so he's created a story to make it fun for him. And he's found what drives him. So everybody has something that makes them stand out. For Reginald, it's his smile. He's going around smiling and people can see it all over the ballpark. He's even more noticeable than me in the yellow tux. So what is that? How do people, what do people know that you're known for? So anyways, you got me on a whole tangent, Eric, you're breaking the rules and I hope that was uh, that suffice, but no more questions. Okay. <laughs> All right. I want, I, I, I want to finish. I know we got to go here. I want to finish the final four and uh, you know, I really appreciate you know, getting to know you, but I'd love to know, give an advice to someone younger starting out. First off, what's something that you've done to stand out in business and in life? Just go against the grain. Mm. I, I love just looking at what everybody else is doing and going, what could I do differently? How, mm. how, how can I be different? Mm. I love that. And if you were to give advice to say, again, you've worked with these younger people for many years now, what would you tell them right now to stand out and be different? There are no shortcuts. I mean, you don't pay attention to, to everything that you think you see right here. It really is success. Success does come before work only in the dictionary. Roll up your shirt sleeves. Don't be afraid to sweep the floors, to wash the dishes, to do the hard work. Do it to the best of your ability because everything you're doing is preparing you for the next thing. Mm -hmm. Don't stop and say, hey, I can half-ass it here because someday I'm going to do something different. Throw your best into every little thing you do and you'll be amazed at how that helps you get to the next level. I love it. Final two here. Best advice you've ever received. Grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, but it's just as tough to mow. Don't be thinking, don't skip over what you have right in front of you because you think somebody else has it easier, somebody else has it better, somebody else has a shortcut. Be willing to roll up your shirt sleeves and do the hard work. I love it. And finally, Eric, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, most importantly, as a, as, as a loving husband and father and a great grand, grandfather to my kids and somebody hopefully that, that made an impact and a difference in people's lives because he was always willing to lay down his own personal needs for, 
for, for somebody else. So I, I love it when I can help somebody achieve something in their life. It just, there's no amount of money you can place on that. No, I love it. Well, as I've shared, you've made a difference in my life. You're making an impact here from afar. So glad I was getting to know you and so glad to have you on the show. So Eric, how can, how can people, you know, learn more, find out more about what you're doing? ericchester.com, E-R-I-C-C-H-E-S-T-E-R.com. You can email me directly at eric at ericchester.com or you know, find me on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. And I'm just delighted to meet anyone that knows you, Jesse, because <laughs> if they know you and they're around you, they know how important it is to stand out from the crowd. And mm. that's my tribe. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Eric. Appreciate you. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently with Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Guy. If you love the show, let Jesse know by leaving a review on iTunes or sending him an email at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. For more information on the guest and topics of this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.